So let's get uh, let's get started. Okay, Michelle Hirsch. Whoever doesn't know who this woman is, <laughs> who this super realtor is, needs to get need to get some Wi-Fi in their cave because uh, you're you're awesome. You're a multitasker. Um, you're just you're just crushing it, crushing it, crushing it. Um, so big introduction. And one of one of my favorite things about Michelle is her, how much she loves to give back and, uh, you know, to jump on a panel when she's asked and, and, and speaking engagements. And, you know, yeah. I've had the pleasure of being on a few of those with you. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing with us thank today. You. Thank you. And I'm so happy to be here with you guys. You guys are both such incredible powerhouses yourself, and you've both done such tremendous things for um, our real estate community and the LA community at large that it's just I'm, the reason why I'm excited every time you call me to do something is it's because it's with you guys. And that in and of itself is exciting enough for me. Well, you are awesome. Thank you for saying that. It means a lot. And, um, you know, and we'll just uh, kind of jump into your story. If you can briefly share with us how, how you got involved in real estate and, uh, you know, what, what caused this whole thing to come about. Yeah. Um, so actually, when I was 18 years old, um, my father... Um, he was in the construction side of things, um, where he did all the construction for a large a property management company here in LA. And I came back from spending a year in Israel and, uh, I needed a job. And so he told me to get a job at, with the property management company. And I did, and they were putting me in different apartment buildings and having to show the apartments and rent them out and so on and so forth. And I really enjoyed it. It was fun getting dressed nicely every day and having to show up at an office. And um, fast forward, not so much time, about a year later, um, I met my husband and I became more observant, um, you know, religiously. And I thought the good Jewish girl thing to do was to become a nursery school teacher. So um, I finished my education in teaching and I became a nursery school teacher. And then literally, I don't think a day went by that my father did not rip into me of stop, stop changing goddamn baby's diapers and get back into real estate. It was like the craziest thing. It was nonstop. And then after I had two of my own kids, um, I realized that I didn't have the same energy to come home after being with other people's children for eight hours a day, and then to come home and have energy for mine. So while I was in my last year of teaching, I went to UCLA and um, took all the different real estate courses and really took it seriously. I didn't want to do like an overnight boot camp thing or whatever. Um, I went to night school and so on and so forth. And I took the test and got into real estate and never looked back. You know, so that's basically how I got started in it. Um, but, you know, I think we all, every time I do these panels or just talk to different realtors, we all have a very common thread through all of us of just, um, we were entrepreneurs, we are creative individuals. Um, we like to think for ourselves, we like to help people and we like to be on our own schedule. Um, you know, so there's a very common thread amongst all of us in the industry. And um, some people know how to like just really harness it and then other people need a little bit more guidance on how to get there. Right, absolutely. It's always fun to hear that somebody was a completely different career path and then 
how it shifts into real estate and they become, yeah. you know, extremely successful. So, you know, looking at, at, at you now, obviously being a, a top producer, um, it's easy to, to, to assume that things have always been easy, right? But uh, tell us a little bit about the beginning. Was, was it easy to get into real estate? Were there any struggles? So it actually was not. I mean, it was easy in the sense that for me, I've always been the type of person where I create an image in my head. And, and ever since I was a kid, I mean, like, for me, it was, you know, I saw somebody who, you know, had awesome hair, for example, and like, you know, I was just what I would picture myself being having the same thing. And so like, you know, when I was going into real estate, or in any part of my any when I was teaching, I needed to be the best at what I did. So I created a picture in my head when I went into real estate that I was already a top producer. And I look back at it as a little bit in a funny way. And I'm laughing partially because it's a little cringy when I look back at the things that I did. But like, I came out swinging, I came out, you know, with making my own magazine thing and having that mailed out getting bus benches right away. I didn't have a pot to piss in, you know, like, I had $2 to scrape together, but the credit cards just racked up and I came out swinging as if I was some top dog. So, you know, for me, you know, it wasn't easy and I definitely created debt um, in trying to, you know, make myself grow. But what I did is I, I created a persona and I uh, created an image for myself of I'm a top dog. So even Almost when like I was like fake it till you make it. Almost like fake, fake it, it till you make it. You make it. I remember seeing your bun your your bench ads like all over. It was like an yes. overnight thing in like Valley right. Village. Yep. Sherman Oaks area. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And, um, and it was tough. And, you know, and, and, you know, and even to this day, I'll get calls from agents, you know, should I do bus benches? And I took like a hiatus for probably about six, seven years of bus benches until because, you know, the last crash hit, and money was definitely tight. And I think my housekeeper was making more money than I was for a time period. And it was not easy. And I did everything I needed to do to stay afloat. Um, I didn't want to leave the business, but I went and I volunteered at the school so I can get tuition assistance. I did whatever I needed to do to stay alive. But at the same time, I never let go of my big dream. And so once I was making money again and things were going well again, thank God, um, I went right back to the bus benches. And when I get calls from agents like, does it work? I can't tell you that I've necessarily gotten a deal because of a bus bench, but what I do get is when I meet people for the first time, they don't feel like they're meeting a stranger. And it's only because they've seen my face plastered around everywhere they go that psychologically they feel a sense that they already know me and yeah. that I'm not some strange person coming into their home. Yeah, you get um, that instant uh, street credibility right. that they've seen you. By the way, Lior brought up uh, something uh, in regards to hearing about you being in a completely different place before you went into real estate. And I feel like that's kind of a pattern with the different people that we've brought on here. We brought on, you know, different, I don't know. We had Harma Hartuni yeah. on here. Who was going to be, what was he going to be like a chiropractor? A dentist, dentist. Right. He was in <laughs> so, medical I mean, school. You, you never know. Right. You never know. Yeah. Right. Um, Michelle, do you, to... do you remember your first deal? I do remember my first deal. Tell us. Yeah. Um, that first deal actually is what has set the pace for how I behave in um, my real estate career, 100% straight up. It is literally what has set the pace for me. Um, in my very first deal, it was on Laurel Terrace in Studio City. 
And um, I was so excited. And because my dad was the impetus of me getting back into the business, he was my first phone call. And I called him up. I'm like, daddy, I have my first deal. And um, I started telling him how much I was going to be making on this deal. Like this is a man who was like supporting me for so many years. And even when I was married and we were struggling, he would help me. He was, of course, was going to be my first phone call and, and telling him how much money I was about to make. And he cut me off dead in my tracks, like literally shut me down. And my dad was like good old Russian stock. You know, there was no mincing words. And he cut me off and he said to me, I don't ever want to hear you tell me ever again how much money you're making. And he said, that's not what you're doing this for. He said, the money's going to come. And he was also definitely a big believer in the evil eye. So I'm not yeah. going to like say that that wasn't part of it. But, you know, he was like, just don't count the money, you know, do the job, you know, work hard and that money will come. And since then, literally, literally, literally. I, I, if you ask me my year over year production, if you ask me how much money I've made, I have no clue. I really don't. Um, you know, when I went and I switched over to Harma and he was like, you know, so tell me about last year's production. I'm like, I have no clue. You know, <laughs> you probably know better than I do because it's so not the driving factor in my business. I really am out there to work hard. And my main goal, and I think that this has to do where we all come from different places and have different drives. But for me, the drive is, is that I was the kid growing up right on the outside of the other side of the tracks. And I always dreamt of being on that other side. And, you know, I wasn't religious. Um, I wasn't a part of the Jewish community, but I was right on the outskirts of it. And I envied it and I wanted it really badly. And, but I was the kid who needed financial aid. I was the kid who couldn't do anything, you know, not, not anything, but not everything. I wouldn't want to ask my mother for five bucks. Um, and, you know, for me, my whole drive right now is I don't really care how many deals I have, but whenever I get that phone call from somebody in the community or somewhere in the world saying, I have a family and I need them to be helped or this person can't afford food this week. Can you drop off some cash in an envelope in their mailbox anonymously? That is my biggest drive. I have such a fear of ever saying no to somebody um, when they need help. And I don't ever wanna be that person to get a phone call that somebody needs financial help and I can't help them. And um, so that's my drive. I love, love, love to hear that. I love, I really, really love to hear that. And uh, I can't wait for my daughter to call me and tell me she's got her first deal. Aww. Because uh, <laughs> when she's like, I want to be a veterinarian, I'm like, my love, you should do real estate. <laughs> Wake up whenever you want, do whatever you want, make more money than veterinarians and help people. Right. So right. I love to hear that. Um, one thing I want to ask you, is um, you you kind of multitask. You do a few things. You do a few things that that a lot of agents don't do. Like if you can tell us a little bit about, um, I remember on one of the panels you were talking about the staging. Yeah. Which is a huge, huge, huge thing. And yeah. not everybody can do it, but the ones that can do it obviously have a huge uh, edge uh, advantage over other agents. But yeah. tell us a little bit about that. So I think it, um, it's, it's something that I developed really when the last, when we had the 2008 situation, 2007 starting, um, I was also newer in my career at that point. And I don't know about any other agents who might be on here who are newer or 
you know, had the same experience when they first started, but somehow I got all the crappy listings. You know, I always got the listings with the orange carpet, you know, but yet they wanted the same price as the person who had, you know, the hardwood floors. And it was like, and, and plus I had to try and get people to believe in me and trust me that I would get their home sold, but they were also giving me the, the hardest parameters to work with. So I slowly started to have to just take on the role of, if they're not going to help me, I need to help myself because I need to do deals. So I would go buy stuff in different stores and, you know, tchotchkes and, you know, stick it around the house and so on and so forth. Um, and then when the crash hit, um, I needed to figure out a way. And this really applies now, even as Corona is happening right now and the market might be shifting a little bit, you know, even we could talk about that a little bit later, but um, I had to figure out a way of how to stand out in a way that I'm not the same agent showing up at a listing appointment against three, four other people who are saying, oh yeah, so we pay for an LA Times ad and an ad in the daily news. And um, we're gonna put you know, flyers at the houses around in the neighborhood before our open houses. It made me vomit. And I could not be that used car salesman. Like I just, it, I needed to figure something out. So um, I figured what would be something that I actually brought to the table. Our clients pay a lot of money to have us do the job that we do. Not that we don't deserve it and we work really hard, but we do get paid beautifully. And I wanted to come up with a way of what would give me an edge. So I decided that um, actually a, a close friend of mine was my first client in the staging situation. And I said, look, your house isn't selling. Um, this is what I would like to do to the home and I need $3,000. So with that $3,000, I bought a bunch of furniture and I went like all over downtown and everywhere to collect my first round of furniture. And that was the beginning. And I kept using that same furniture and then I kept building as people would pay me at first. Then I stopped the paying thing. And for my own clients, um, staging is on the house. Um, and to this day, unless it's like a large, massive new construction build where, you know, legitimately the staging costs $20,000, $30,000 sometimes in some of these monstrosities, you know, where I need some financial participation. But other than that, um, it is something that my clients get from me as a service. And I feel really good about it because I'm really bringing something to them that is literally putting money in their pockets and saving them from having to shell out money. So you awesome. briefly mentioned, uh, you know, this started back in the last crash and yeah. right now it doesn't appear to be a crash yet, but there is a lot of indications that things are going to get tough down the road. Um, first of all, what's, what's your outlook on, on where we are now and what's going to happen in about nine months from now? And, so uh, yeah, yeah where, we, where we are now is the strangest situation. I feel like we're in the twilight zone. It is bizarre as all can be. Last August, you know, 2019, I was literally doomsday prepping and I'm like, holy crap, do I have enough money in my account? Did I spend like a rock star or did I put money away? Because it's, that's it. It's over. August was so bad. Um, and here we are, you know, this nine months later or whatever else it is. And I can't keep houses on the market if I wanted to. I, I, I can show houses for a day and then it's gone. I feel badly. We can't have multiple days of showings. It's nuts what's going on now. So I'm not sure what this is indicative of, except for my opinion of what's going on right now is I think you're having a major wave of people having a wake up call on the quality of their life. 
And, you know, when I get phone calls from buyers who are like, oh, you know, sellers just want to get out, the market's changing. And that's not the case. What's really happening is people making and deciding that they're choosing to have lifestyle changes, whether it's time to downsize, it's time to retire, it's time to move closer to where the children live, um, or I'm sick and tired of living in a condo and sharing laundry and sharing elevators and I want a home office and I want a backyard. These are lifestyle change decisions that people are no longer putting on the back burner. And that to me is what's driving this market right now, obviously coupled with incredible interest rates. Um, you know, and, and I think that anybody who thinks that, you know, the market is hot right now because it's a fire sale is very mistaken. Um, these are sincere sellers who are selling because they still want their top dollar, but they're doing it because they want to, not because they have to. So that's a different vibe than in 2008 when you had sellers who had to sell, get out, you know, lost everything, so on and so forth. I don't think we're there right now. And where do you see us in a year from now? You know, if the if these rates stay the way they are, and you are the king to be able to, you know, guide us on that. But if prime stays at zero, you know, for the next couple of years, what I keep hearing the rumors about, if that's what's really going to happen, money's cheap, you know, and, um, and, you know, I'm hoping that as this Corona situation gets more under control, people's livelihoods get back on track, you know, people want to live, you know, you can see that by how people want to, you know, cruise ships, look at the cruise ships, I think that they're almost all pretty much booked up for the next year already. And it's hard to even find a cruise, people are not looking to hunker down in their homes, people are looking to live. And so as long as interest rates stay the way that they are, I think that our market is going to stay hot. That's a really interesting, um, I think you've said something that we're all thinking which is quality of life. You know, people want to upgrade their quality of life. And uh, a lot of things, a lot of things have changed for, for people to be uh, just woken up by what's, what's going on. Um, uh, yeah. Look, for yeah. me, even like just when Corona started and we all work like dogs, the fact that I had, you know, dinner at home for eight weeks, every single night, making dinner for my entire family to be sitting together having a dinner every single night was just the most incredible thing ever. You know, in 23 and a half years of being married, we never had eight weeks of dinner with all the kids at home, at the table at the same time. And so I think that on every level and everybody has a different thing where on some level, Corona has been a blessing in many ways, whether it's a mindset change, whether it's something positive that's happened, but there has been positive that has come out of this horrible pandemic. I really do believe that. I agree 100%. We're all a little bit cleaner, cleaner. We're all a little bit healthier. We're all a little bit more in touch with, you know, being if it's being at home and being stuck at home or cooking at home or learning to exercise at home or learning to work from home or, or getting creative with all this new technology, not just Zoom. Right. You know, not just Zoom. There's, there's so much uh, happening. And speaking of, of family, I want to give a shout out to Erica over here. Oh, hey is there. she on there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this. That's my other half of here. my brain right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So I actually, it's funny you guys say that because I spoke to a family law attorney the other day uh, in, in a different panel that I was on. And they thought that 
business for them, for their industry, divorces was going to go up through the roof because everybody's at home together and, you know, at each other's throat. And they were surprised to see almost the exact opposite. Like people are coming together and, and problems that, that people would look at before now don't seem as big of a deal with everything else and all the other craziness that's going on. Like, why are we even fighting about like little things that don't matter? So it's good to see that it's, uh, it's always a, a you know a silver lining. Uh, yeah. I no, maybe you, maybe though, filings. I want to I want to jump on that. Maybe filings haven't uh, spiked like they anticipated. However, and there's no joke coming. This is statistics that I heard <laughs> okay. from a New York attorney. Is the uh, uh, um, amount of retainers that that there's so many new retainers. So meaning a lot of people did make calls to divorce attorneys. A lot of people made calls like. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 days, but let's get the ball rolling, you know? And then, yes, maybe, you know, things, you know, time changes, circumstances, and maybe people didn't follow through with it. But uh, retainers did spike. I did hear Interesting. Spike. Interesting. So, Michelle, um, I want to take you back to the beginning, but with all of the knowledge you have now. So knowing everything you know now, would you have started your career differently or, or are there any tips that you can give people that want to get started or grow their business that they should absolutely do in the beginning? She would skip the diaper changing for sure. Definitely skip the <laughs> diaper changing. Um, uh, you know, that's such a tough question because like with the knowledge that I have now and where I am now in my career, I know that there's stuff that I need to make changes on now, even still, you know? So I think that as we all continue to grow in our businesses, I think that there, it's always evolving. And I think that there's always stuff we should be changing and doing. I think if I could go back in time, knowing what I know now, I think I probably would have tried to um, maybe build an infrastructure of more help around me at an earlier stage and not put everything on my own plate. And, you know, when it came to the staging, I, for the last, you know, 11 years, I've been doing it all on my own. You know, um, I'm the schlepper, I'm working with the movers, I, you know, I've been doing all of that. And sometimes when you put everything on your own plate, um, you actually end up hurting yourself in the long run business wise, because there's only so much of you that can go around. And I think that if I could have probably put in some better systems around me and not be afraid to spend the money on that, you know, cause I spent money clearly, but I don't know if I spent the money in the right places at the right time. And if I could go back and maybe um, put better infrastructure around me and, uh, and relinquish control over some things, then I could probably be way ahead of the game where I am today. Um, and that probably has set me back and there's plenty of people out there, um, uh, that I haven't been able to help because I didn't have the proper infrastructure and I'm only one human being. Um, my biggest fail in that arena, um, and I think I'm saying his name, right. I always forget it, even though I own purses by him, but, um, I was the very first realtor who helped uh, Makowski buy a home here in LA and he bought it actually here in Valley Village and I look at that freaking contract all the freaking time with his signature on it and um, I never I never kept in touch 
you know, and um, I, I, I was the first person he, when he landed here in LA to work with him on real estate. And, um, and I happens to be that his main right-hand guy, I ran into him last Friday at the supermarket. And it's like, God is always trying to like, just burn me even more with that thing. And so I see this guy and he recognizes me, even though I have my mask on and we start schmoozing for a little bit. And he's taught and he's starting to tell me about how they finally sold that house with the helicopter pad and the whole craziness. Um, and now he's moved on and Mikowski is pretty much doing everything in France now and not really doing much here anymore. And like, I didn't want to get into it with him, but all I kept thinking about the whole entire time is like, that was my fault. You know, who knows where it would have gone if I would have had the infrastructure and the systems in place to make sure I keep in touch with past clients, to make sure that I continue dialogue, stuff like that. And instead, I was so always pounding the pavement and trying to work hard for the next deal to put food on the table for my family that I wasn't taking the time to build the long-term play. So, you, you know did, what? You I want to dive, dive in just a, a little bit deeper on that because you said something that I hope people caught that if you're reading between the lines is really the make or break for, for success, in my opinion. And that's really your, your database. But you mentioned you wish you would have hired earlier and, and built a team around you. What should be the first hire somebody makes when, when they get to that point? Um, I actually think the very first hire is somebody to be just your back office, you know, that way, getting every ounce of paperwork off your head, um, your database, you know, your marketing, your social media, like you, one person can handle that when you're earlier on in your career. And if you can have just one person take off that entire load. And all you have to do then is answer the phone calls from all the people that are calling you because that back office person is keeping in touch with them. You know, I think that that will be a great start. Huge tip. Yeah. Huge tip. Yeah. Chuck, I, I cut say, you off. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I mean, you did because we all beat ourselves up over, Hey, I should have done this. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, we do the best we can for what we know for that moment you know? Right. And, you know, you wouldn't want to be stuck in a, you know, if you did stay with, with, with Bruce and, you know, right now you'd be stuck having to deal with multiples on a quarter billion dollar property. Who wants to do that? <laughs> it's true. It would be devastating. It really would be. <laughs> Such a headache. Such a headache. Okay. I would have called you to help me out with it. <laughs> um, Okay, so we, we always uh, try to stay uh, respectful of uh, everybody's time because we try to do this, you know, short, sweet, and potent and uh, really try to uh, knock it out uh, as quickly as possible. So before we go into the weekly wins, if anybody has any questions, throw it out there. Oh, Rosaline, let's hear it. Yes, yes. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So... Uh, I'm wondering how many kids do you have? I have four kids. Nice. So I have four kids too. Oh, from 10 and... to uh, 22. Oh, good. So you have uh, babysitting. Yes. <laughs> so I have little ones and I got to a stage right now that um, I am thinking when is the best time to get someone to help you and not as far for paperwork, contracts and marketing because I have all of that covered in my company. Um, 
to assistance. So I need someone. I feel that I got to a stage that uh, I cannot control everything. I need help as far for maybe showings or it feels like I got to a stage that I'm asking myself, maybe this is the right time uh, to get help. The question is where to put that, wh where to ask that help. Is it in showings? Because I'm the one that is doing the negotiation, but I feel like if I will have someone to help me, um, maybe it's going to miss the deal because maybe I will see something that will be good for the benefit of my clients or the other way. So uh, my first question for you oh, is, and yeah. before I forget, uh, the reason I ask you how many kids do you have is like, how do you, how did you manage it? So I have two questions there with the kids. Right. So that was actually my very first question for you is I'm not sure if right now you need more help on the business side, or do you have somebody full-time helping you at home juggle, um, making, helping you make dinner Who's there? Like if you, if you have little ones, do you have anybody who's a nanny? Um, do you have help on the home front? Because as a mom, we carry tremendous amount of guilt in every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if we're not there for our kids or if we're not there for a school trip or if we're not there for something, it's painful and it hits us very painfully. And the biggest thing that I could have done to help me on that side of things, which then allowed me to be the one to concentrate on my business instead of having to pass the buck, such as showing clients homes in the beginning was, and I actually call her my, um, my assistant because she's not my housekeeper and she really is my house manager. And she's been with me now for almost 19 years. Wow. Um, and I could not be anywhere without her to this day. You know, I do Shabbat dinners here at my house that are ginormous. You know, I make fresh challah every Friday, five pounds. You know, I do all that stuff and I've never missed my kids' school trips and I've never done, I've never missed any of that stuff. I was on the president of the school board, all that kind of stuff. But if I didn't have help on the home front, um, I don't know if I would have been able to do that with without so much guilt because because she is my other half on the home front, um, I know that my children um, are getting attention from someone who loves them also. My husband, thank God, has a regular nine to five job. So, you know, I grew up um, with a single mom who had to juggle it all. And we turned out just fine. I think that parenting today, for some reason, and I think most of us on this screen grew up not spoon fed and, you know, taken care of with everything and having our mommies and daddies there for every little thing. We all sat at home while they were at work and being latchkey kids. I really do feel that that was much more our generation that grew up that way. But I also think that that created a stronger work ethic for us, you know, so I think that we have to stop feeling guilty if, you know, we can't be there for every little thing. And if our kids have to, maybe I can't tell you to this day, how many times, even though I have help at home, Dinner is whatever you find in the refrigerator, dude, you know, <laughs> crack open some eggs, you know, get a bowl of cereal. And I just don't feel guilty about it because you know what? At the end of the day, we have a loving home, but, you know, thank God we have four amazing children. Um, we've raised them with strong work ethics and we've also raised them in a way to help themselves. You know, my 10 year old, since she's probably seven years old, makes her lunches every morning for school. 
you know, and um, prepares her snacks, gets it all together. And I don't feel bad about it. So I think a lot of, you know, what I can help guide you with while you're still with the little, little ones is get yourself help on the home front, because it seems like you have a nice infrastructure on the work side, but you need a little bit more help maybe on the personal home side. And then that will free you up to be the agent who shows your homes and doesn't miss out on deals right now. Yeah. And that's I love a big that thing, advice. The that's support. Tip. Thank you. And I think and I, I think the biggest the biggest thing here is just us not feeling guilty, right? Because yes. it's so easy for us to feel guilty. But you're right. When we grew up, it was the complete opposite of what we yeah. tried to do. And yeah, here we I had are. I had literally five toys to my name, maybe you know, and they were probably all from Circus Circus in Las Vegas, you know, <laughs> and, I, you know, like, I, we had nothing, you know, we were so happy, we were so happy. And like, if I showed you and walked with my phone right now to show you the playroom that I have in my house, it's not normal. <laughs> like we all I feel try to swing the pendulum and give our children the things that we didn't have. But then I look back at my life. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I wish my children had the same work ethics, the same drive, you know, that I have and that my husband has, I've been working since I'm 14 years old, you know, and um, I think that our kids don't all need trophies for everything. And if you're the losing team, you're the losing team and work hard right. and God willing, next time you'll be the one to get the trophy. But we've changed the way we treat children today in such a kit glove, you know, God forbid they should skin their knees. And I just never subscribe to that. That's, that's, that's a big, big thing. And, and, you know, I'm always, I'm always thinking about, you know, who's happier, you know, the kid here in Sherman Oaks with Wi-Fi, uh, iPad, Oculus, virtual reality, every game, or the little kid in Kenya who just found this huge stick and he's running around and he's happy and he's got no worries. And, yeah. you know, probably yeah. him. Cause this, this kid is, is this kid here. He's my kid and he's really pissed that the Wi-Fi is not as strong as it was yesterday. <laughs> There's right. more room for disappointment. That's for right. sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, we, should do a, we should do a whole parenting Zoom. Yeah, Chuck, I, I just realized <laughs> that we are surrounded by all females. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Like it. I, I didn't even notice it because I'm just so used to it. It's, it's the same for me at home. Uh, even, even my dogs are females. It's just all females around me. So okay. Women don't forget. <laughs> I love that. That's right. Yeah. A big shout out to uh, Sabine and Chantel from uh, Topanga Properties. If anybody Actually, knows. Actually, let, let's unmute them. Wants to buy or sell in Topanga, definitely reach out to them. They are, they are the, the women that are going to be running things over there. And awesome. they're you know, rebooting. Yes. A 45-year-old company that's been there for a very, very long time. So, how how are you guys? We're well, very busy. Yeah, <laughs> keeping keeping trying to keep float. <laughs> well, thank yeah, God. They that's actually a, they actually are connecting with Mo Abrashad. Our guest was at last week, two weeks ago. Uh, they're connecting over a, a I think it's over the like four and a half million dollar property, something fantastic. I personally walked it. All said, you saw that. Yeah. Was it is it's made for a celebrity just just period well it's a it's an amazing place so you know if anybody else on here has a buyer for that kind of uh house and of course of course it's off market as of now so we've got so that construction so no certificate of occupancy even on, on yeah so and and also so big you, shout do out to, do to you ladies Leon have uh, all the way from israel with us wow 
Hi, Liron. Who's that? Liron. How are you? Oh, wow. So cool. <laughs> yeah, it's nighttime here, but I'm listening and I appreciate it. And I think what you guys are doing is great. There's so much uncertainty right now. And, and um, what you're doing is, is very valuable. So I appreciate that. Nice to have you with us. Um, Does okay, anybody else week have week. any any uh, any questions before we go into the wins or a win? If you have a win, feel Let's free, raise your hand, share with us. Personal business doesn't matter. We just want some positive news. Positive news. I have my boys. <laughs> yeah, the boys are there. I'm yes. not surrounded by girls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I got to say my, my win, my win. And, and I'm going to be promoting Leo here on this win is, um, is a service, uh, uh, an app, um, a company that Leo is involved with for, um, uh, for builders and subcontractors and things like that. I'm going to be able to, we're going to have a discussion right now about how to utilize it for LA Fixers, which is my company. And I'm really excited about it. Literally, as soon as we log off here, we're going to go into, into another room and have is that, a... Is that why you're rushing everybody off the show? Everybody, let's do this. I'm so excited about this. Why don't you tell them a little bit about it? So get the word out. Uh, well, it, it's still in early uh, development, but uh, it's, a, it's a technology platform that allows uh, developers and builders to get access to hundreds of local uh, pre-screened subcontractors and suppliers um, upload their project and instantly get bids from people to want uh, that want to wow. go ahead and, and work on the project. So. That's amazing. Yeah, we're we're excited about it. But uh, the the app is developed. It's a it's already available for download, and now we're starting to scale it up. So hopefully, big things soon. Michelle, why don't you share a win? You have a win for the week. I'm trying to think of what I should uh, talk about as a win for the week. Um, I think that my, a win for the week is just the feedback that um, I get from, you know, I got from a client this week, just saying how much they appreciate, you know, the handholding and, um, you know, being there with them and explaining everything to them. Um, and uh, they're working with another agent in, t in the town that they're moving to. And they said that they wish that, you know, they could have me helping them there too, because they're, they just feel very much you know, on uh, unsafe ground. And I think that for me, it's something that I keep having to remind myself. My sister actually always makes fun of me because uh, she's like, you're so wordy. And, and like when she sends an email, it's like a sentence. And when I send an email, it's like a paragraph. And, um, but I feel that that's like who I am. And when someone's going to finish a conversation with me, they're not going to be at a loss for like, wait a minute, I didn't get that or I didn't understand that. So for me, the win was hearing several times this week from different clients, how they just really felt that I was able to explain things well to them and uh, ha hold their hands. That, that's huge. I feel like we always say, you know, I don't do it for recognition, but we all want that tap on the back and, and, and to feel good about what we do. Because like you said, if you do something good, the money will come. Right. Uh, this, you know, the success is the byproduct of the good things that we do. But when we get appreciated and when we're told that we're doing the right thing, that that's what really motivates. Sure. And it helps us get to the next one and want to do the next one, you know? Yeah. By the way, I have one, one final question um, for someone like uh, the girls here at Topanga properties or Katie or Lebron or anyone watching. Cause there's always 
people on the Facebook live group with like 2,200 members and there's people on the YouTube uh, channel. How would somebody or what would be the best way for someone to align themselves with you and uh, to be able to open that, you know, communication uh, to be able to work with you, to bring you deals, to get deals from you, to, um, you know, be in your uh, inner circle? Who's answering that? You. <laughs> oh, me? <laughs> You're the special um, guest. Um, I thought you were asking everybody else that question. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question because, um, you know, I think that we all try our best to stay connected. But at the same time, there's just so much going on that we feel like once we blast it out to the world, then people will just come to us if, uh, if they need our product. You know, and I know that that's not necessarily the best thing, but that, that's another element of why you need more people a part of a team. And maybe that's why I'm at a loss for a great answer, because I know that I can't add that to my plate of like, you know, okay, who is the network of people that I should be reaching out to right now when I have this product that's going to be coming out? It's just, it's too much for me. Mm -hmm. And, but if I have that proper infrastructure around me, and that could be something I dump on someone else's plate. Holy crap. My business would probably be even, even better, but I just. Yeah. And if somebody has an opportunity to land, you know, a big listing and they know they need some staging, would you be open to them reaching out to you to co-list with you and, and, and share in that oh, for uh, sure. transaction? I would love to. And definitely I would do that. And, you know, there are definitely circumstances, especially for newer agents, um, just because I have a soft spot for them. You know, if there's a way that I can help them and I just tell them, look, this is this is what it's going to be at cost. Just reimburse me for the cost of the movers, whatever. You know, I have inventory. Just pay the guys and, you know, I'll drop it off there for you. Um, you know, I've definitely done that for people, too. Um, helping in our community is not only the communities that we live in, but in our real estate community as well. So if it doesn't take away from me being able to do my job. And if there's people that I can help out there, then I'm definitely happy to be a part of it or just, you know, give you my guys. Oh, and you've, any, you've, you've grown to a point now where you actually have a, a warehouse, right? With, with I, furniture. I have, and, uh, I have four warehouses. Four warehouses. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. I'd yeah. actually like to, I'd like to remind both of you guys uh, of a, a discussion we had on one of the panels that you were on that I think you're doing so much business with your um, warehouse that your accountant told you that this, if this was a business business, you'd be lo like losing or like a million bucks or something. That's, just that's you're so doing, funny that you remember that. It's, yeah. it's funny that you say that because it's not, you know, when people hear me talk about it, a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, I need to do the same thing. Let me tell you something. <laughs> you know, I already am knee deep into it. So that's why it's working for me. But if we want to talk about the loss leader, um, I lose about two to three hundred thousand dollars a year um, in running that business. So between warehousing, furniture costs, uh, workers comp, you know, all the different insurances I have to maintain, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a real loss leader for me. But because of my financials and, you know, the amount of deals I do and whatever, it works out fine, you know, tax wise and whatever to have such a product, but it's, uh, it's definitely a financial suck. Yeah. So it basically, it allows you to, it offsets it on the real estate side. Right. Right. Interesting. 
Have you thought of maybe converting that into like a 501c3, like a nonprofit? <laughs> no, but maybe I should. You think about it. You know how many pianos would be donated to you? We literally, <laughs> Stacy was just doing this thing with one of our properties. Oh my gosh. I, we really should talk about that. That's an interesting and it's, thing. And it's a bigger write-off. Yeah, let's yeah. create a charity. Can we right. do it under um, the IAC? Let's do it. <laughs> All yeah. right. Anybody else have any final questions before we wrap it up? Just raise your hand or. I would, I would just say that if, if, if I was a new agent, this is what I would do. Okay. If I was a new agent and, and I was able to reach out to someone like you, I would reach out and say, Hey, I saw you on this panel or this zoom call or whatever. How can I align myself with you? And, um, you know, share with me what inventory you have coming. Let me try and work it. Let me let me be your soldier out there. And then before you know it, you're in a couple of deals and you're doing your own thing. Right. I'm definitely happy to have, you know, with a, one day when we hopefully one day have open houses again. You know, I'm definitely always open to having agents want to sit open houses. There's only so many of us because I don't have a huge team. And so we, when we ever have new listings and they're brand new open houses, happy to hook people up. Um, whatever I can do to help, you know, even if you just want to throw something around at me, um, help you with a contract, help you understand something, definitely reach out. I well, have, like sorry, we said, one more ahead. question. One more question. <laughs> it's, it's just stop lying. You're religious. Okay. You're, yes. you're heavily involved in the Jewish community. Um, do you sometimes have restrictions on doing like open houses on Shabbat? And would you be able to benefit from having someone who's not, you know, let's say Jewish, who doesn't really absorb, observe Shabbat to be able to do those open houses? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a loaded question, Chuck, totally <laughs> loaded. Um, but basically, uh, the short answer is if it's in the Jewish community, and if it's an Orthodox family's house, then obviously the short answer to that is no. Um, because they're Orthodox themselves and can't do an, a Saturday open house. If mm -hmm. it's a house that's out in a different area and it's not owned by a Jewish person and the realtor who wants to sit it is not Jewish, um, you know, then I could definitely probably work something out with them. There's a whole bunch of laws and rules about yeah. me making money off of them on Shabbat. Yes. So, um, but there's, there's some ways around it. I, I prefer not to mess with fire. <laughs> You know, but, um, uh, you know, there are ways around it. Okay, we can we can discuss the coffee bean method. <laughs> whatever you so want. Like, like, like we said in the beginning, Michelle, you are incredible. Thank, Thank you so you. much for taking the time to join us and, and share and, and really give back. Um, I want to thank everybody who's joined and who's watching uh, our live stream somewhere. Uh, please follow us and subscribe. We'll be here next week. Uh, same place, same time. We already have our speaker, so we'll announce that in the next uh, day or two. Uh, Michelle, again, thank you so much. Thank Looking you. forward to uh, engaging again here in the near future. Thank and you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining. We'll see you again next thank week. You, thank you all. You can leave comments or whatever. It's all in the in the YouTube or in the Facebook group. Comments, chat, and answer questions that way. Thank you so, so much. See you next week. Bye, guys.